Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Gospel of John, chapter number two. This is known in the scriptures, the beginning of miracles. And anytime employing the, the law of first mention, anytime you see something for the first time in scripture, well, you you study that and you go from that forward and I believe even with this very first miracle in the Lord's ministry there's things that you can see as far as a pattern here that is important for us to remember anytime that we need a miracle is anybody here that is in need of a miracle today amen you really are honest that you need a miracle you need a touch from God praise the Lord you can receive it I believe that the Lord and the days of miracles are not over. I believe with all of my heart that we're still seeing miracles of healing. We're still seeing miracles of deliverance. We're still seeing miracles of provision, God providing for his people. We've seen it during this situation that we've been experiencing the crisis that's happened to our world of late. But more than that, the greatest miracle of all is the miracle of salvation. And we need to not ever let it grow old to any one of us. Because it's that wonderful and it's that marvelous when you receive salvation. To think that God could save somebody so bound and so, so incarcerated by sin, so chained and locked up uh, by the enemy. But, but they can be unleashed from all of that and never have to return to it. You know, uh, certain step programs in this world, and again, I'm not dishing on them, but I'm just telling you, They'll tell you, well, you'll, you'll, always have this, you'll always have this to deal with. You just have to recognize you'll always have this to deal with. It'll always be there somewhere. Uh, you'll always have this propensity. Well, I believe what the Bible says, that when you receive New Testament salvation, old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. I believe what the Bible says, that it says we are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. I believe that, don't you? I don't, I don't believe that you have the lingering effects of that. I believe that you can overcome that. I've known of one individual that used to, used to say at times, well, the Holy Ghost can't do everything for you. And I took issue with that because I don't believe that. I believe the Holy Ghost can affect and should impact every area of a person's life. Amen. John chapter 2 and verse 1, in the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. Then the ruler of the feast had tasted, or when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, he knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. And the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning, every man at the beginning, does set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. 
I want you to look at verse 10 again. And he saith, or, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. Notice the statement, every man at the beginning. Every man at the beginning. And I, I want to use that as a subject title here this morning. Every man at the beginning. Every man at the beginning. I want the Holy Ghost to help us today. I know that we've taken a lot of effort to be here. I, I trust that all of you come hungry in your heart and with a capacity to receive something from God. You know, that's a lot of it. A lot of other things in this world can crowd things out. A lot of things in this world can take up room and space that God should. And so we have to make a conscious effort, especially when we come to the house of God, we have to make a conscious effort to push those things out and make room for God to have His way in our lives. How many is desperate for God to move in your life this morning? Would you raise your hands with me and let's pray once again that the Spirit of the Lord would touch us, the presence of God would move upon us in this service. Jesus, we need you. We need the help of the Holy Ghost. We're praying, God, that you would anoint the remainder of our service today. I pray that you would touch the hearts and the lives of the people gathered here, those that are joining us via the Internet. I pray that you would minister to them as well. We thank you, God, for this opportunity to come and to worship your great name. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. One more time, would you give praise and thanksgiving? Thank you so much for standing in. You may be seated. There is probably not a singular event that is prepared for any more meticulously than a marriage ceremony. There's so much planning. We, we have them here. We're going to have one here pretty quickly. And uh, there's nothing that is planned for months, months in advance, uh, especially the bride and her family and those that are helping her begin preparation. And these details are carefully thought out, not only just the ceremony, but everything that leads up to it. And then in the ceremony itself, there, there's so many details and things. And there's rehearsals and there's uh, different things that are carried out. And it's a very extravagant, extravagant affair in our Western world. But even more so in ancient times in the Jewish culture, Weddings were even more lavish. These events would last not just a little while. You know, in American culture, uh, a long wedding would, I guess, be 45 minutes to an hour. And if I'm preaching, it'll probably be a whole lot shorter than that uh, because I understand that that uh, it's a big event and all of that, but uh, there's not a lot of ministry necessarily that's going on there uh, and so and I don't know that the bride or the groom are listening to you intently maybe if it's recorded they can go back and listen but they're all just standing there all starry eyed while you're performing the ceremony so we try to make it quick but can you imagine a wedding feast ceremony lasting for at least seven days and sometimes longer than that and all the fathers in the room just kind of groan when they hear that because they're thinking of it from our perspective and that we pay for the wedding if we are the father of the bride there are manners there are customs there's traditions to see in all of this we could talk about that a little while here this morning but no doubt this marriage that took place in John chapter 2, that uh, was no different than the rest of the Jewish ceremonies and feast of marriage that would take place. Maybe there was uh, more than what was anticipated that attended uh, the ceremony. Perhaps it was unseasonably hot 
We don't know the details. There's a lot of these details that are left out in the story because, again, this is not necessarily the focal point of the story. Or perhaps it lasted a bit longer than what was expected. However, to the embarrassment and the shame of the ruler of the feast, the one that was the master of the ceremony, and I don't know exactly who that would have been. It doesn't tell us exactly who that was. Perhaps this was a person that was put in charge of all the planning and what was to take place, or maybe maybe it was the family members that were involved. But when they ran out of wine, this was an embarrassment because here these people was. These things were normally held outdoors, and it was hot. People needed refreshment, and there was nothing to serve them. And Mary, having, of course, a revelation like nobody else of just who Jesus was because, uh, again, the angel of the Lord had spoke to her, given her a message, Gabriel, and told her that she was with child and that this was going to be different. This was the Messiah that she would give birth to. And miraculous how that this baby would come into the world and she had raised and nurtured this child and seen him grow through his adolescent years, seen him grow up to be a man. And now at the age of 30, his earthly ministry is beginning to commence. And, and this is the first miracle that Jesus is to perform. And she goes to him. And tells him the scenario. She tells him the situation that has taken place. She says they have ran out of wine. Or she just really says it more bluntly than that. They have no wine. She didn't have to say anything else. He knew exactly what that meant. He knew what it meant for the ruler of the feast. He knew what it meant for the guests that were there. He knew that this was a situation that needed to some way be remedied. But he looked at her and said, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour has not yet come. In other words, all of the love and appreciation and respect that I have for you, I want you to know that when it comes to calling upon my power and my ability and and just because I have this uh, devotion to you does not mean that I can move beyond God's will. That I can do something uh, just based on your, your want or your appetite or desire for it. But there has to be a need and the timing has to be right. But she pressed a little further. And the Bible says that she wheeled around and she went to where the servants was. And she said to them, again, knowing who he was, she says to them, whatever he says to do, do it. And I think sometimes we just pass over that statement and we don't think of the depth of it. But she was saying, whatever he says to do in detail, you need to do it. You need to be strictly obedient to what he says to do. If you want to receive the blessing, if you're in need of a miracle, and if you want the right outcome and result, you have to be obedient and you have to submit to whatever he says to do. Can I tell you, that's still the way it works in receiving something from the Lord. It's a magnificent thing to receive the blessings of God. It's a wonderful thing to receive the miracle of salvation, but it only comes when we're strictly obedient to what God has given us in His Word to do. Amen. Some people, they want to, to go around that. They want to circumvent that. They want to take a shortcut. But I want to tell you, that's not how the blessings of God comes. That's not how the Spirit of God falls. But when we're obedient to God's Word and we truly repent of our sins and are obedient to His Word and being baptized in Jesus' name, we can expect, you hear me? We can expect to receive the promise of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Praise God. 
I want to tell you, there's just something about being obedient and saying, God, I'm coming before you humbly. I haven't got it all figured out. I'm not here to debate. I'm not here to find a loophole. I'm not here to argue my way around it. But I'm here for the purpose of receiving a miracle. And whatever you say to do, that's what I'm going to do. Hallelujah. Even in this service, as you feel the Spirit of the Lord beckoning you and moving upon you and touching your heart, it's not a time for us to sit back and analyze. It's not a time for us to say, well, perhaps I won't have to yield and I won't have to do all of that. But it's a time for us to say, God, whatever it is that you're desiring of me, whatever I have to lay on the altar, whatever I have to give up, whatever I have to repent of, whatever I have to sacrifice, whatever it costs me it's going to be worth it if I can live for you and serve you and do your will it'll be a blessing to my life oh come on let's give a little praise to the Lord here this morning and maybe it was this revelation and this faith that Mary exhibited that moved Jesus from saying it's not my time just yet because we know of other instances in the scripture or in Jesus' ministry where at first he said it's not time for you, such as in the case in Mark chapter 7 with the Syrophoenician woman. He said, I haven't come for you just yet. But the, the bread belongs to the children first. They need to first be filled. And when he saw the faith that was exhibited by this woman, he could not help himself and he said, you know, I had intended not to go this far, but your faith has pushed me beyond what I intended to do originally. I'm going to tell you, faith moves the Lord. Faith moves God. Faith can bring a response. Faith is attractive to God. Faith is something that moves Him to do something for us. If you got a need, that's one thing. But if you came with faith along with your need, in addendum to your need, you can receive a miracle here in this house this morning. So many times we want to come and say, well, it's, it's pretty apparent. I, I got a need in my life. It's pretty obvious. I got a situation. I need God. I wouldn't be here if I didn't realize that I need God in my life or in my situation. Well, I hate to break it to you, but that in itself is not going to get the job done. The thing that God responds to is when we activate that thing called faith that He has deposited in our lives and that we need to give back to Him. We need to exercise the Bible says that measure of faith that's been given to us when we activate it with our worship when we activate it with our prayer when we come before him and say God I'm here in need God responds God works the miracle can happen the power of God can be activated in your life oh hallelujah 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 and so he says to these servants, he says, feel, he sees the, the water pots that are there, six of them, and he says, feel the water pots with water. And again, this is a, this is a, a revealing thing to me. As I have said many times in the past, most miracles that you see in the scripture requires us or the person that received them doing something. You say, well, God, couldn't he do whatever he wanted? Couldn't the Lord provide it and, and just allowed the miracle to happen without any effort on the part of anyone that was there? He could have. He can move autonomously. He can move sovereignly, and he, and he can do that. But often when you read about miracles that pertain to you and I, he requires something of us. So that attitude that says, you know what, I'm just going to sit here until the miracle comes or I'm just going to remain in this place until it happens for me, that attitude, again, is not going to get the job done. It's not going to work. You have to move out of your comfort zone. You have to be willing to sacrifice yourself, sometimes humble yourself, sometimes get rid of your pride and step out and say, you know what, as ridiculous as this may seem, Filling water pots with water, uh, expecting to be able to serve wine. 
well, it's going to be an embarrassing thing if we take this risk and it doesn't turn out like we would like it to. But these servants said, you know, we don't have anything to lose. And that's what I would like to, to just take a moment and preach to you here this morning. What do you have to lose? You man, you, you want to talk about how embarrassing it would be to step out and admit that there may not be everything in your life kosher and everything in your life may not be perfect. You, you, may, you may say, well, it would be so embarrassing for me to come and weep tears on an altar and, and be broken before God. But I want to tell you, what do you have to lose to go home to a heartache, to go home to sorrow, to go home to, to worse brokenness, uh, to go home and feel that, that heaviness and that burden. I'm going to tell you, if you could leave this place rejoicing, it would be worth anything that it cost you to come to an altar. If you could leave this place lifted in your spirit and strengthened in your soul, it would be worth it for you to leave it all. Come on. It's not a big thing to come to an altar and cast your cares upon Him. It's not a big thing to come to an altar and be relieved of your burden. It's a big thing to have to deal with it on your own. But if you got God in your life, you got the miracle worker on your side, it would be worth anything that you have to give up in the meantime. Hallelujah. So I don't find that there was any debate. But the very next verse says, they went and they filled them, and I think this detail is in there for a reason also, to the brim. They filled them up. They didn't say, well, we're just going to make it comfortable for ourselves. It'd be a whole lot easier to carry one half full. It'd be a whole lot easier for us to carry one three-quarters full than to, to carry that thing entirely filled with water. They didn't think of it that way. They were reminded that he said, fill them with water. They filled it complete with a substance uh, that he required of them to fill those water pots with. And when they brought it back, he said, serve it. And they began to pour it out to the governor. And this was the man that was the highest in ranking that was there. So you could see as they're standing there with beads of sweat on their forehead wondering, is this going to work? But as they begin to pour it out, they saw that that water that they had filled it with had blushed and came out as wine. And they realized the miracle that had taken place because they were obedient to what the Lord had said. I know it sounds elementary. I know it sounds like an oversimplification here this morning. But if you'll just do what the Bible said, if you'll just do what the Word of God said, you too can have a miracle. It's not a mystery. It's not a hard thing. It's not a hard thing to figure out. Oh, but when we're obedient to God, we can receive the blessings of God in our lives. Oh, get rid of that attitude that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find an easier way. Get rid of that attitude that says I'm going to find a loophole somewhere in this to make it more compatible to my flesh and get the attitude that whatever that book says, whatever the Lord has required of me, that's what I want to do because that's where my peace is. That's where my joy is. That's where my fulfillment is. That's where my true happiness will be. Hallelujah. 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 And so when the governor had drank of it, he tasted and he said, you know, this seems like it's better stuff than what we started with. And he said, he said to those that were around him, he said, every man, he said to the master of the feast, he said, every man, does set forth the good wine at the beginning. Every man at first sets his best stuff out. And then when men have well drunk and they're a little sedated, inebriated, their taste is not as acute and aware, then they, they get the cheaper stuff and break that out. That's, that's how it works you see, the governor was describing, he was explaining how the world system is. This is how the world works. This is how this kingdom works. This is how they operate. Can I just tell you that the devil always offers the best stuff first. He always puts his best 
label out there at the beginning. Then, after you got a taste of that and you started down that road and you made those choices, then, and only then, and at the right time, he saves the worst. And it's not a... It's not an overnight deal, but it's a gradual thing. He, he begins to, to bring in the worst. He draws a person in. He seduces them, and he appeals to a person's emotions. He, he appeals to their feelings and their senses. And oh, how good he is at what he does. He gets people to take a second look, and then a third, and on and on. Gets people to take one drink and then two of sin and on and on. And it seems so satisfying at first. It seems so fulfilling at first. He only shows the side of sin that appeals to your immediate appetite and satisfies the immediate longing of your spirit. And, and that's how he works. That's, that's what he does. Bible said in Genesis chapter number 3 that Eve, when the woman saw, he appealed to her senses, when she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant, get this, to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. You see, he's appealing to all of the emotions and the pride is involved. It's going to make you wise. It's going to taste good. It's going to satisfy your appetite. She took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her. And he did eat. Your first experience with sin is likely to be a pleasant experience. I know that you, you think that, that uh, you know, we, we, we tell people, uh, and we got it in our minds sometimes that people's first experience with sin is, is going to be repulsive and they're just going to spit it out and they're never going to want to have anything to do with it again. But in most cases, a person's first experience with sin is a pleasant thing. However, what the devil did not show them was a picture of Adam and Eve as time progresses. He didn't show them being cast out of the garden. He didn't show them not being able to enjoy the same relationship with God. That's what sin does. It separates people from God. Being banned from paradise. paradise being uh, cursed. And, and there's a lot of things that I can't even go into as to what that curse uh, brought in their lives. And, and the struggle... And the enmity that was going to be there and the sweat of their face shalt thou eat bread. Everything was so easy before. Now things are going to get hard and things are going to decline and deteriorate and fall into chaos. And everything was in order. Everything was so perfect and, and uh, it was almost effortless in a sense. But now... If you eat bread, it's going to be because you you worked for it. It's going to be because of an arduous struggle. You're going to have to till the ground. You've got to dig out the rocks and the weeds. You're going to have to plant the seed. You're going to have to cultivate the seed. You're going to have to water the seed. And when it brings forth, you're going to have to insure it against pestilence. And, and you're going to have to make sure that it's taken care of. And, and you're going to have to make sure that things don't come in and steal it away from you. And it's going to be an arduous process for you to finally be able to set your knees underneath the table and eat of the fruit of your labor. It's going to be a struggle. Can me just tell you here this morning that the way of a transgressor, the Bible says, is hard. It may look appealing at first. You may start down that road and it looks so good to you at the beginning, but can I just preach to you here this morning? That's not where that road leads. It leads to struggle and hardship. It leads to pain. It leads to enmity. It leads to a curse of sin. The Bible said it this way, the wages of sin is death, but it's the gift of God that is eternal life. No, the governor, he, he had it right. He said, every man, or this world system, he said they always serve the best at first, 
and then move on to the worst. And that's exactly how this world is. We could talk about the prodigal in the Gospel of Luke. I don't know what it was. Here he was in the safety of the Father's house, had obviously every need, every whim and desire at his fingertips. Everything was taken care of. He was satisfied. He was healthy. He was strong, strapping young man. And uh, he had all of these privileges and all of these blessings. And I don't know if it was the bright lights of the city. I don't know if it was the stories that he heard coming back and the riotousness of the city that appealed to him, whatever it was, it attracted him. And he said, I want my portion of the goods early. And I'm going to take my, I'm going to take my uh, goods and I'm going to go to a far country. I'm going to get as far away from this as I possibly can. I'm going to try to escape this if I possibly can. I'm going to get away from the confines and, and the rules of daddy's house. And I'm going to live my own life, make my own decisions. Let me just tell you something. It doesn't matter how far you go and how much you try to drown it out. You'll always hear the siren call of the Spirit of God as it tries to compel you to come back. People that say, I'm going to try the world and the sin that is out there, they're never satisfied. That's why a little bit of sin doesn't do. They go for more. And then they have to get more. And they have to drink a little more and shoot up a little more and snort a little bit more and smoke a little bit more. Why? Because they're trying to get back to that original first feeling that they felt that drew them away. They tell me, I, I haven't experienced it, but they tell me that those that involve themselves in drugs, that first high or whatever it is, first experience is so exhilarating that from that point on, they're always in vain trying to get back to that same feeling, that same level, and that same satisfaction, and they never can do it. And they take more and more and more, and in some cases, uh, they destroy their lives early and die seeking for that first experience. That's how the devil works. That's the world system. That's the way the enemy works in people's lives. He serves the best at the beginning because he wants to get you hooked in. He wants to somehow get control of your life. He wants you to make decisions and choices. And then after you get headlong into it, he starts introducing worse things. And this prodigal heads off. And the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that pleasures of sin are for a season and it certainly proved true in this man's life. He enjoyed himself, and then there was a famine that came to that land, and he began to be in want, the Bible says. This boy had never experienced this level of want before. When he was in the father's house, he did not have this level of want. He didn't have this kind of need while he was in the father's. Everything was taken care of. Everything he could delight in that he desired. It was all at his fingertips. The pleasures of sin, he could enjoy them for a season. Sin is a slow grinding process of destruction. And you see it begin to happen in this young man's life. Finally, it gets so bad that all friends have forsaken him. His money is all spent. And he says, I've I got to survive somehow. And he goes and joins and makes himself a citizen of that country. Understand that he was a Jewish Hebrew boy. And he, he had never known the customs of that country. He didn't know and was not familiar with all the things that was involved with that country. He's trying to live among these people that he's not familiar with. He's trying to live among these people that are so much different from him. And you can see it on the faces of backsliders many a time as they're trying to fit in. And and it's, they're trying to make a life that was not intended for them to try to make. They're trying to make it work and it just doesn't come together. It just doesn't gel. When they lay their head down on their pillow at night, they still have those old feelings. They still experience that, that presence and touch of God and they know that this is what I, I didn't sign up for this. This is not what I wanted. This was not what I expected it to be. So Finally, he goes down, the man that he 
signs up to work for sends him to the hog pen to feed the swine. Now, I'm going to tell you, for a Hebrew boy, that was about the lowest of lows that there could have been because they didn't raise pigs. They didn't have anything to do with pigs. They didn't eat them. There was no need for them. That was the lowest of lows. And now the Bible says that he did feign to eat of the slop and the hush that the swine did eat. And finally, in that condition, he comes to himself. In that condition, he begins to realize this is not exactly the way I thought it was going to be. I saw bright lights. I saw neon signs. I saw illustrious life. I see. I saw pleasure. I saw fun times. I saw all of this greatness out there. That's what I saw at first, but I never saw this day coming. I never realized that I could be so broken. I never realized I could be so humble. I never realized I could feel so filthy as I do now and so used up as I do. I never knew there were so many false friends as I do now. And suddenly the Bible says that he came to himself and he said, I will arise and go back to my father's house. The good thing about that story is, is that you may have been lured away. You may have made a tragic decision you may have made a bad choice but don't continue to make bad choices you can make a decision and a choice to make your way back you can come back and find a father with open arms ready to forgive ready to restore ready to robe you in a in a white robe and clean you up and give you a chance to live again and have hope again in your life Oh, lift up your hands and thank God for His grace and His mercy. Every man in the beginning sets forth the good. The devil in the beginning sets forth the good. We read that story of the maniac of Gadara and we think, well... It probably just kind of happened that he ended up in that state, and we don't think about the process. Nobody gets to that depth of demonic possession. Nobody gets to that depth of being bound without there being some process involved that gets them there. We don't think that maybe there was one point that he was sane and had a normal life and was a normal child and young boy suddenly he started making decisions and choices and fooling with things that introduced darkness into his world. And it didn't happen again overnight. It was a process that took place. And gradually it grinded him down day after day until he was so tormented. Let me just say right now in the Holy Ghost, if you don't deal with those tormenting spirits, they will deal with you. If you don't stand up to those tormenting spirits and change the practices of your life to confront them, if you don't get to a place that you realize that I have to stand my ground or this thing is going to run over me and steamroll me and totally destroy me because that spirit, that spirit of torment wants to destroy you completely and it's not going to be satisfied until it destroys you completely. So you can keep tinkering with it and playing with it if you want to, but when you stand stand up to it. That's when you're going to get control. When you stand up to it through the blood of Jesus. When you stand up to it with the help of the Holy Ghost. When you stand up to it and say, I got peace through the Spirit of God. I got comfort through the Spirit of God. I don't have to continue to live and abide in that same torment that has totally twisted up my mind and my life for years. Amen. You say, well, you don't know what you're talking about. I do know what I'm talking about. I have worked with it. I have, I have dealt with it in the lives of people. I have tried to help folks. And my experience tells me that if you don't stand up to it, it's going to destroy it. If you don't make up your mind that I'm going to get serious about this and I'm going to take this thing on and I'm going to change some things. If it requires me to pray more than what I'm praying, I'm going to pray more than what I've been praying. I'm not going to be lax when it comes to getting in the presence of God. I'm not going to be lax when it comes to worship. 
fellowship. I'm not going to be lax when it comes to church attendance. How do you expect to keep victory if you stay away from the house of God? you got to get to the house of God and get in the presence of God. Every opportunity that you can. Come on, you keep excusing yourself, it's going to destroy you. You keep excusing yourself, it's going to take you down. You keep it making excuses, uh, and it's going to tear your life up. you got to take control of it. Nobody can make that choice but you. No, your wife can't make it for you. Your husband can't make it for you. Your children, as much as they love you, they can't make it for you. Your parents can't make it for you. Only you can make that choice. That this is the line. I'm not going any further. I'm not going any further down with this. I'm not going to ride this thing out. I'm not just going to wish for the day that it gets better. Right now I'm standing up through the power of the Holy Ghost to take control of this tormenting spirit that's in my mind. Amen. I'm not what you say I am, devil. I am what my father says I am. I am what God says I am. That's what that prodigal realized. I'm not what this man I'm working for says I am. I'm not even what sin is showing that I am right now. I'm not even what I think of myself right now. I am what Jesus says I am. I want to make my way back to the Father's house. Come on, let's worship Him and give Him praise together right now. Feeling sorry for yourself, that, that's, you know, that may get you to a point, but that's not going to help you. Talking about what I'm going to do isn't going to do it. He said to himself, I will arise. And the next portion of that verse said, and he arose. Come on, you got to put some action behind those thoughts. you got to put some action behind those words. You can't just sit around and keep excusing yourself from now until Jesus comes and say, well, hopefully someday it's going to get better because you like the pity and you like the sympathy. Get out from where you are and make your way to Jesus and get deliverance and get help from the Lord. Amen. Praise God. It's all a prop. It's all a front. It's all a big show at first. Wonderful, appealing, satisfying. That's the first day. That's how it looks at the beginning. But I'm so thankful that I don't have to stop preaching right there. Because while we've been talking about the kingdom of darkness and we've been talking about how the world system is and we've been talking about sin and how it works, let me tell you about the kingdom of God and the things of God. Your first day in living for God in reality may be your worst day living for God. You say, well, I'm shocked to hear you say that. Well, let me back it up with what I'm talking about. Because that first day living for God is going to require you dying on an altar. That first day living for God is going to require repentance on your part. That first day living for God, you're going to have to come and you're going to have to be broken. You're going to have to give up your pride. You're going to have to give up that sin. You're going to have to turn your back on the world. You're going to have to make up your mind. I'm going to make some decisions. It's going to, it's going to be counting the cost. It's going to be sitting down at the table and reasoning with God. It's going to be making some decisions and choices that are difficult and hard. It's going to be saying, you know what, I'm not going back to those friends. And I'm not going to fellowship with those folks anymore. And I'm not going to pick that back up. And when I leave here, I'm going home a different way. I'm not going to continue on in sin and expect God to keep bailing me out. No, I'm going to make some choices. There may be some hard calls. Your first day living for God will require you getting on your knees and reasoning some things out. It's going to require you saying, God, I give everything to you. I give you all. I surrender all to you. Because the first day re- involves repentance. It requires confronting sin, old habits, and old lifestyle, and friends. It requires yielding things that you don't want to yield. And surrendering things that you don't want to surrender. And selling out. Amen. It forces you to realize, I've got to take personal responsibility. I can't keep putting this off on somebody else. I can't keep blaming my problem on somebody else. Come on, folks. Take personal responsibility. 
and say, you know what? It's going to start with the man or the woman in the mirror. It's going to start with me. Amen. This is where I'm at. This is what i got to do. Come on. You're not going to have to pull me around for the rest of my life. I'm going to make up my mind to take care of some things. I'm going to deal with some things. I'm going to cut, I'm going to cut some ties with the world. I'm going to count the cost and make some decisions and choices that I need to make. Come on. i got Bible for what I'm preaching. And, and, and Matthew chapter number 4, the passage involves the calling of the first four disciples. And here he first comes upon the Sea of Galilee to Simon Peter and Andrew, his brother. And he looks at them. These fellows now uh, are standing there by their ships. This is their life. They've been fishermen of the sea. This is the only thing they've ever known. This is their occupation. Maybe their father was a, uh, was a fisherman. And perhaps even their grandfather was a fisherman. This is all they'd ever known. And he looks at them and he says follow me they didn't even know who he was but what they felt when he said those words they could not deny amen there was a pull there was a gravitation there was a magnetism that they felt they couldn't deny it I'm going to tell you when you come into an apostolic I'm talking about a real apostolic church service I'm talking about where the anointing of the Holy Ghost is I'm talking about where there's a real presence you may sit back and never respond to it but there's one thing you can do that says you cannot deny that the power of God is upon that house upon those people in that place and God's dealing with you and God's moving upon you and God is touching you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you stepped into a Pentecostal church service and the presence of God began to move. You felt it. You felt it. You felt something calling you up higher. You felt something compelling you to make some changes in your life. And the Bible says, without equivocation, the next statement says straightway. Everybody say straightway. That means immediately. That means right now. That means we're not waiting. Amen. We're not going to wait until it gets better. We're not going to wait until the second opportunity. Some people say, well, I, I'm going to respond to God if he'll just move on me one more time. If he'll just give me one more. Give me another week. Give me another week of revival. Give me another opportunity. Give me another chance. Come on, away with that. Straightway, they left their nets. They left everything that they knew that was a comfort to them. Everything that they were familiar with. Everything that they depended on. Their occupation, their way of life. They left it all behind to follow Jesus. They didn't know where he was going to lead them. They didn't know where they was going, but they knew what they felt and they knew what that experience was real and we'll follow you wherever you want us to go. Straightway. And then read on down just a few verses and the Bible says that he came upon James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and they were mending their nets. Now, I can understand he caught these boys at a difficult time. Because they're mending their nets and they don't have very many fish to show or no fish to show for their efforts. They're giving up. They're quitting for the day. They're tired. They're wore out. And he says to them, he says to them, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. In the Bible, it goes in a little greater detail here. It says, and they left their ships and their father. And followed him. Now you understand what that meant. They had investment. They had time. Maybe these were ships that they'd inherited from their father. I don't know. But there was worth and value there that they had to give up. I'm going to tell you, people, that it doesn't cost them anything usually doesn't stay around very long. If you only come in on a feeling, then you'll have to stay juiced up on a feeling to be able to stay around. But if you ever get the real Holy Ghost, if you ever really experience the power of God, if you ever get a real relationship with God, then, then you'll love Him and desire to serve Him and want to please Him. And they left it all behind to go and follow Jesus. I mean, that was a difficult choice. They, these four disciples, this was, this, was a, this was a difficult thing that they were being asked to do. Nevertheless, the Bible says in the very next few verses, it says, and Jesus went about all Galilee teaching and preaching 
healing all manner of disease and delivering the possessed. In other words, they got to be in on some miracles. They didn't see it when they was letting down, uh, laying down the nets and walking off from the ships and, 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 and kissing their mother and father goodbye. But just past that, just past that point of costing them everything was great miracles and great revival and a great outpouring of the Spirit. Yeah, your first day living for God, there may be, have, there may be some difficult choices and decisions that you have to make. But can I tell you, it's going to be worth it if you just hang on to Tomorrow it's going to get a little bit better. And tomorrow it's going to get sweeter as we say. And sweeter as we say. And sweeter as every day goes by. And let me tell you the joy of the Holy Ghost and the power of the Holy Ghost and the miracles that you experience and the glory and the provision and the blessings of God that comes to one's life that is willing to make those difficult decisions. God blesses them. And they look back and say I've come a long way because I was willing to lay down the net. Because I was willing to follow Jesus. Jesus, because I was willing to make some hard choices. You know, I often tell people when they come to me and, and they're wanting to serve the Lord, I often tell them this. I said, don't look at a year from now. Try to imagine what it's going to be like. Don't, don't look at it in serving God. Don't look at it like, like a five-year deal down the road. You try to live for God if necessary. You just think about today. I'm going to live for God. When you get up in the morning, you say, tomorrow. Or that day, I'm going to live for God. And then from there on out, God unfolds it. He takes care of it. And you're going to look back at your life and see the accumulation of blessings and goodness of God. And you're going to say like the, like the psalmist David said, Surely goodness and mercy has followed me all the days of my life. Oh, surely goodness. Every time I look behind me, every time I look back on how good God's been to me, I can't hardly wait to see what He's going to do because I know how good He's been. Because I know His blessings have been so great. And they've been so wonderful. And they've been so awesome in my life. Acts chapter 9 you talk about a difficult deal as Saul tells his testimony who would become the apostle Paul struck down on the road to Damascus stumbling around a blind man he has to make some difficult choices and decisions he has to humble himself to go hear a preacher that he'd never heard of before, Ananias, and, and ask him what he must do to be saved. And he leads him and tells him what to do. He has to go back to those people that he has been so angry and hostile towards. He has to go back and face them. In some cases, they were sheepish in accepting him. Matter of fact, can you imagine as they're looking at him saying, you know, I don't know, maybe they're worshiping one eye open. Maybe they got their head down, but they got one eye looking kind of up over their arm. Said, you know what, I'm going to be ready if he pulls a fast one here. You know, they always had a reason to be a little concerned if Saul ever got cold in the Lord. Because it could be bad. Because they knew his reputation. They knew what God had delivered him out of. But as they begin to see that day after day, this man's walking with God, and God began to use him and anoint him. And man, can that, that fella, he can teach that Bible. Man, can that fella, can he write an epistle. Man, can that fella preach. I ain't never seen nobody. He, he certainly can preach a long time because they're falling out of windows keep preaching so long. And, and you know what? He goes down there and raises them up. Hey, man, it's an, it's an amazing thing. That fella's a powerful preacher, and every day gets a little bit better. Hey, Amen. And it's the Apostle Paul that writes in 2 Timothy 2 and 12, If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Come on, you've suffered some sacrifices. Maybe you've given up some things. Maybe you've waved goodbye at some things. Maybe you had to bid some friends goodbye. But I'm telling you, you shall also reign with him. It's going to be worth it. If your feet touch gold, it's going to be worth it. If your hands touch the jasper wall, it's going to be worth it. If you hear those in mortal words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'll say you'll rejoice and say it was worth it. Come on, stand your stand your feet right now. Lift up your hands to God and let's give Him some praise.
It gets better. Living for God is the good life. It's life. But as you live for Him, you find it's life more abundantly. Amen. But you know, as I said at the beginning of this service, this is just a little taste. This is just a little taste. Anybody ever been to Sam's and got a little taste of something? That's a trick. Here, sir, try a little bit of this. Well, they ain't as big as the end of your pinky. It's just enough to say, you know what, can I try another one? No, but we have them over here in the freezer over here. You can take some of this home with you today. For ten ninety nine. Why is everything ninety nine? <laughs> Usually it's nine ninety nine. You know. Why don't you just say ten dollars? Save me and you both some trouble. It'd be a whole lot easier to calculate. No. You get a little taste of something. You know what the hope is? That you'll want some more of it. I'm going to tell you, if you could just get a little taste of this Holy Ghost. You could just get a little taste of this God that I'm preaching about. But you know, that's what the Holy Ghost is. It's just that taste. It's just a little bit. We get so worked up and excited. Man, I've been in churches. They knocked holes in the sheetrock, running the aisle. I've been in churches. They, I mean, they just about wore a path in the rug worshiping God. I've been in churches lively I've been I've been in places where I mean you had to worship in self-defense people so excited about serving God amen I, I like that kind of zeal I like that kind of a move I like that presence but you know what what I think of when I see those type of just when heaven kisses earth kind of services I think you know what I wonder what heaven's going to be like I can only imagine what it's going to be like when, when we finally get over there. I can only imagine how high some of you are going to jump when we get over there. I can only imagine how fast some of you are going to run down those streets when we get over there. I can only imagine how exciting and, and how much exuberance and worship and enthusiasm is going to be in that place. Bible gives us a little bit of it. It tells us in Revelation chapter 21, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all of their tears, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. You think about all that you had to give up, tears that you have to cry, repentance, you think about dying out, you think about the godly sorrow that worketh repentance. Well, this scripture right here tells us that there's a day coming it's going to be worth it. When you get to lift your hands in the presence of the Lord and you get to be there and see Him face to face, you're going to say, hey, that choice, that choice, that decision that I made there on that last day, the May 31st, 2020, I made a, a fresh new, maybe somebody's made it before, but you're making a fresh decision today. I'm not going to sell out. I'm not going to give up. I'm staying with it. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to serve Him. I'm going to do His will. Whatever it costs you, it's going to be worth it, sir. Whatever you have to give up. Yeah, that governor understood some things. He said the world puts their best stuff up here, but it gets worse from there. It goes downhill from there. But in God's kingdom... The best is last. It just gets better as things go on. 
Hallelujah. I wonder if there's somebody who wants to come to this altar and reaffirm some things. I wonder if there's somebody who wants to come and sell out in some areas of your life. Maybe there's someone who just wants to tell the Lord over again, God, I want you to understand and know that I, I've made a decision. I've made a choice that I'm going to live for you. Amen. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do your will. I'm going to be what you desire for me to be. I'm not going to fit this world system and its design and its pattern, but I'm going to fit the, the pattern that you have. I want to be used of you in a mighty way. Why don't you come and let's give ourselves to the Lord. Let's give ourselves to talking to God. Let's give ourselves and yield ourselves completely to Him. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, raise those hands to God. Surrender yourself unto the Lord. Yield yourself completely right now. Oh, open up your heart and let God touch you right now. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. As they begin to sing, let's open up our hearts to God.